What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Struggle to Strength podcast, your source for real-life application on how to turn your struggles into strengths in all things mind, muscle, and money. I am your host, Josh Levine. I'm joined here by my longtime friend and my co-host, Travis Hatch. And today, we want to talk to you about the pain. Pain, injury, and chronic pain is something that plagues our modern society today. Everybody's experiencing it. People waste countless hours and dollars going to doctors, trying to fix it, suffering through most of their lives with no end in sight. You might find that when you sit down for extended periods of time, you might experience some lower back pain. When you stand up, you might experience some knee pain. You might just even tell yourself like, hey, that's just the way it is. You might have thought that this is something that you have to deal with. You might have felt unproductive, but we are to tell, here to tell you with our guest that that is not the case. In this episode, we're going to talk about the five-step method to, re, to living pain-free. So we have Dr. Mitchell Yas on the podcast, and yes, we have him on the podcast, creator of the Yas Method for Diagnosing and Treating Chronic Pain. He developed his method over 20 years ago. He's treated thousands of patients, resolving their pain and returning to fully functional capacity, fully functional human beings that are pain-free. Just as important, he stopped thousands from getting unnecessary surgeries. Travis and I both have our own personal experiences in being, in being suggested surgical procedures that we did not end up needing. And Dr. Yas has give, made it his life mission to prevent that from happening because we, have, we know that it is not always necessary. So before we get into it, we ask that if you love this episode, as always, please give us five stars on Apple or a follow on Spotify. Share us on your socials. You can find me at Josh Levine Fitness, Travis at Travis Hawks Media. Links are in the show notes. That is it. I hope you guys are ready because Dr. Yas brings the fucking energy. And we got really fired up during this conversation. So it's not one that you want to miss. There's a ton of really great takeaways. We will see you all inside. Before we get into the episode, we have an announcement for you guys. Travis and I were approached with an opportunity and in true struggle to strength fashion, we want to give back to you guys because we love connecting with our listeners. We've been approached by an app called Wisdom and we have a link in the show notes. You guys should for sure be on this app. We've been approached by them to actually go live in their app where we can connect with you guys on a more intimate level and we can talk about different topics. You can join us in the chats. What this is, is a way for us to connect with other mentors and learn from people who we normally wouldn't have access to. Now, I've said before that we can kind of buy our way in or we can work our way in to work with the mentors, the people that we really want to work from. Apps like Wisdom are allowing us a new way to connect with those people, to learn from those people, to communicate with those people. I'm really excited not only to be able to educate more on health and fitness and connect with the listeners of the podcast, but also to learn more from people who are higher up in the health and fitness industry, who are more advanced in business. In order to give back to you guys, what Travis and I are going to do is we're going to go live in the Wisdom app on December 23rd at 11 11 a.m. And we're going to give $100 to two of you who join us at that time. And what we're going to be talking about during that time is as we're coming up towards the end of the year, New Year's resolutions are going to be something that everybody's paying attention to. Fitness is super important at the beginning of the year to a lot of people. And we're going to be talking about the single biggest mistake that everybody makes when starting their fitness journey. Everybody, everybody makes this. And even if you're already well into your fitness journey, you might still be doing this. So this isn't something that you want to miss. Not only are we going to be able to connect 
connect and kind of talk about this very important thing that you might still be doing, but you also got a chance to win some cash money. So we're going to be giving $100 to two of you December 23rd at 11 a.m. in the Wisdom app. The link to the Wisdom app is in the show notes. So download it, join the chat when you get in 11 a.m. on the 23rd, and we'll see you guys soon. Now onto the episode. Let's go. Man, I'm excited to get into this. Uh, you know, I, I, I Travis has told me a little bit about you and, uh, you know, I've checked out your, your Facebook, your website and having come, well, being in the, in the fitness industry, being in the health and fitness industry, I see this all the time. And I'm really curious to understand more about your method and your theory behind every, uh, you know, everything that you've developed as well as how to uh, improve chronic pain. I think everybody has it at some point in their life. But before we get into it, what we usually like to do is I want to learn, obviously, we know you went to <laughs> South Florida University. We know you like to party. We know you have fun. Um, but learn a little bit more about like what got you to where you're, you're at now. What do you do and how do you help people? Why is it different? All that sort of thing. Sure. So to understand how I got here, where most people might say, oh, you got to go back 10 years. You got to go back to the beginning of my life. And basically, I was the true 99-pound weakling, the guy who got sand kicked in his face. Severe, severe self-esteem issues, real problem. I used to get anxious just walking to high school every day. And so um, I recognized that I had to change something in myself, and I decided I needed to try to lift weight. So from 19 to 26, I tried the old-fashioned way. Everybody else, you boy, Joe Weta magazines and, you know, the powders and all the other stuff, and it didn't take. Well, at 26... And again, this gets a little bizarre, but I decided to apply a high school physics course to weightlifting. And I started playing with weightlifting and saying, okay, where's the force vector? How do I apply my most amount of force? Where's the lever arm? What's the fulcrum? How do you stabilize something optimally to cause yourself to be able to push against the resistance optimally? And basically it was just kinetic energy, potential energy. And over the next four years, I put 40 pounds on. I go from 160 to 200 pounds. And this is just, yeah, this is just the no, no drugs, no steroids. This is just me fully engrossed in this whole thing. It was, it was just, I knew I had to change my life because things were really negative for me. So this is happening at the time I'm in my first career, which was I was a project manager in construction. I have a bachelor's degree uh, for building construction, University of Florida. And I did it for about five years, just wasn't very satisfying. And so I want another career. Now I had been lifting weights for this period of time. And my parents mentioned to me, oh, our friend's children have gone into this thing called physical therapy. And I'm like, oh, okay, what is that? And he's like, well, it's in the working with people's bodies, but you don't have to go to the full educational level of a physician. So I was like, okay, that sounds like good. Sounds like a good thing. So I get the couple of prerequisites. I get into school. And so as you're in school, the first part of this is just education. You take just taking classes. And so eventually you get to your last part. It's your affiliations. You're going to work as a therapist, but as a student being supervised. And so for the first time ever, now someone's in front of you and they're saying, I'm in pain. And I can't move, I can't bend, I can't work, I can't raise my kid. And so all of a sudden, there's this serious thing that happens. Now this is real. And something very bizarre happens to me. Everybody else is just whatever they're taught in school, that's what they're doing. But remember, second career, 32 years old, with a aspect in childhood when my father taught me analytical thinking, literally taught me how to create theory. So... I guess something just pops into my head and the person standing and I just say, could you tell me where your pain is? 
which to me seems like the most obvious logical question, and they would point to where their pain is, and you would come to this crazy recognition where they're experiencing their pain is not where the pain should be if the identified MRI finding of a herniated disc stenosis, arthritis, meniscal tear, what to elicit pain. If that thing that was identified as the cause of their pain were to elicit pain, it's not eliciting pain where they're experiencing it. Mm-hmm. That breaks the theoretical basis that that's the cause of their pain. And you have to understand, I'm doing this as a student, literally leading into graduating. And so this horrible quandary develops. There's a moral, moral and ethical dilemma. Do I just do like everybody else? Shut up. Just do what I'm told because that's what I was taught to do in school. Or do I follow this thing that I'm coming to the realization that these people's pain isn't coming from what they're telling me I should believe it's coming from. And I guess because of my life experience and again, this childhood sense that my father created in me of no fear. I had no fear. I, if I wanted to figure something out, I truly believed I can figure it out. So I decided I'm going to go on this path, interpret their symptoms, try to figure out what the tissue is. And shockingly, shockingly, I figure out that in more than 98% of cases of people I've treated, the cause of pain is muscle. The tissue in distress eliciting their symptom is muscle, even when the structural variation is identified on the MRI. And from this understanding, because remember I taught myself that weightlifting stuff, I was able to do this unique form of targeted progressive resistance exercise and people are getting better in a treatment, two treatments, three treatments. Mm-hmm. And right from the beginning, I know I'm onto something and I'm going to try to follow this path out. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've done for 28 years. I love that. I, and, and so awesome. We have very similar ways that we think. Now, you learned very quickly to think of these levers and, and but to think of the body mechanically because that's what it is. We, we think of things mechanically. And... It's cool that you were able to learn that at such a young age and to our listeners, part of the reason why we were able to add so much strength and, and, and size in such a short period of time was, well, you were lifting mechanically. You were lifting with intent. You were performing movements to bring the muscle through a con- shortened and contracted, uh, lengthened and, and contracted position rather than moving weight from A to B. You were thinking, you were very focused, very intentional. But that also served you greatly later on in your life where you were able to identify essentially what I'm hearing is just because you have pain in this one area does not mean that's the cause of the pain, but there is tension on this specific part of your body, tension on this joint from different muscles that we need to rebalance. Right. So if we want to go into that that area, what people have to understand is, so I didn't just understand how to resolve pain. When I came up with this theory that the cause was muscle, I knew this is insanity compared to the global medical establishment's promotion. So I had to understand this from all aspects. So you got to see this. I'll give you small aspects of history, and then I'll show you how we get to what it really is about. So chronic pain never existed in the history of mankind. Nobody understands this. Never existed. Go back to the Greeks, the Romans, and the depressions in, in, in the United States. Chronic pain never existed. It began in the late 19, early 1990s. That's when chronic pain became understood as an issue. 
Okay, so what caused that to happen? The answer is technology automation. As a result of the fact that the computer goes from being 99% industrial to 99% personal, everybody's using it to do stuff. Automation takes you from being in a stock room and stocking shelves to, to robots doing it. The number one job on the planet today is IT, which is the job with the person six in front of a computer from for 10 to 12 hours a day. Yeah. So as a result of this, you see more people having less use of their muscles leading to weakening. How does that relate to the population? How do you know what I'm saying is true? In 1950, 60 or 70, what was the only population that was concerned about pain? The elderly, they would call it rheumatism. My rheumatism's acting up, my rheumatism's acting up, right? So why the elderly? Because they retired. In retiring, they did less, made them more susceptible to straining when they did to try to perform an activity. As we go into the late 1980s, 1990s, what's the age population suffering from chronic pain? It goes from the 20s and teens all the way up to the 90s. Now, suddenly, it's not just 60, 70, 80. I'm treating people who are 20 years old telling me they have a bobblehead. They can't support the weight of their head at 20. So you have to account for this. Has this ever existed? The answer is no. So what was the cause? Technology. What did it do to muscle? It weakened muscle so that when you do try to do activities, you're more susceptible to straining. If you're willing to acknowledge this, then you have to say, what about the muscle? What's the problem? Well, gravity's pushing down on you. Every person on the planet has to fight against gravity to perform any activity. Therefore, there are groups of muscles responsible for forming individual activities. If all the muscles do not have an equivalent force output to push up to allow the force requirement of the activity to be performed, muscles are going to strain and they're going to elicit pain. And I can briefly just describe this is where nobody really gets this. Hopefully this piece right here will make you say, holy shit, this guy's right. It is 98%. So everyone knows the classic thing. Oh, I strained my neck muscle right here. That's a muscle strain, right? And that happened, by the way, this muscle is called the levator scapula. It, by its words, it means elevate the shoulder blade. So where the medical population will try to tell you this is cervical based, it's not. It's shoulder based. So more than likely, muscles responsible for shoulder function have broken down. And it's causing this muscle to overwork in stabilizing the shoulder blade, leading to its straining. So the first cause is a muscle strains because other muscles that work in conjunction aren't strong enough, leading to compensation, leading to your other point, which is that in more than 99% of cases, the cause of pain is not where the pain is being experienced. 99.999% of cases. By the way, when an MRI is requested, where is it requested? Exactly. Where the, that's right. And that's why it never identifies the cause yep. of pain. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we have first muscle strain. Here's the next one. You have pain around your kneecap. You're going to get an X-ray MRI. It's going to show arthritis, meniscal tear, something like that. What everyone doesn't understand is that the position of that kneecap is based on primarily the quadricep muscle. That tight quad, that knee, that sharp pain right in the middle of the kneecap when the quad's too tight, that's nerve pain. That hurts. Right. But it's from the quad being too tight. That is correct. So you're having joint region pain, but a muscular cause. I don't give a shit if you got 3,000 joint replacements until you resolve the muscular deficit of the quad being overworked 
in relationship to the hamstring, thereby causing an excessive upward force on the kneecap, leading to excess compression of it. As you bend your knee, you're never resolving it. So muscles create pain at joints. Third, muscles refer symptoms. Most people have never heard this. They only think nerves refer. Well, what is an indication of a heart attack? Pain where? At the chest and the left arm. Is there something wrong with the left arm? No. It's a referred symptom from the heart. What is the heart? It's a muscle. muscle. So for the person who lays on their shoulder and wakes up and their hand is numb, they're going to go to the medical establishment. They're going to tell you, oh, good a cervical MRI. And they're going to find a herniated disc and they're going to say that's the cause of your pain. No, it is literally being referred from the infraspinatus, one of the rotator cuff muscles. And because it's yeah. weakened, that lights you, up easy. Right. When you lay on your side, the shoulder gets drawn forward. It causes an overstretching, igniting the muscle to refer the symptom in the hand. How do you know it's that? Stand up and it goes away. Right. Does standing up take away a herniated disc or stenosis? <laughs> uh, that sounds peculiar. Right. <laughs> so that's three. And then finally, four, the granddaddy of them all muscles strain and impinge on nerves. This is sciatica. Forget sciatica coming from the lumbar spine or herniated dystenosis, a pinched nerve. No nerve attaches to the spine. No nerve attaches to the spine. Nerve roots come out of the spine and form nerves away from the spine. So there is no nerve for anyone to be told your sciatic nerve is being pinched by a herniated disc. It's just lunacy. It's insanity. It's a lie. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't get it any more clear. What's yeah. really causing the pain is a muscle in the butt pinching on this. That's right. <laughs> that it one. That's and impinges <laughs> on it. So it's a muscular cause creating a neurological symptom. Yep. Those four mechanisms account for 98% of people's pain on the planet. Mm -hmm. Yep. If, if, if it's, I think the easiest way to, to think about this, and you did this from a young age, but like muscles have tension. There's a finite tension within each muscle that allows it to perform its functions optimally. If there's too much or too little, if it's too long or too short, it's going to have negative side effects on the joints and the antagonistic muscles surrounding it. So people who are sitting every day at a desk, I'm, I've been sitting for a long time today. My hip flexors are tight. I should know this. If I go to stand up, then my pelvis is going to feel like it's tilted a little bit forward. Now, if I do that day after day after day after day, not only are my anterior muscle groups going to get tight, but my posteriors are going to get loose. I'm going to have that anterior tilt. I'm going to say I have low back pain. They're going to categorize it as low as chronic low back pain. We know better. Right. So the question that becomes to you, what's the answer? And what does the world, what is the planet told to do? Stop sitting. Go get a de standing desk. No, no. Let me make this clear. There is no such thing as an overuse injury. That is a meaningless statement. Overuse implies that a muscle has a certain, you have an ability to do an activity, but if you do it too much, you're going to strain muscles. That mm -hmm. doesn't mean anything. There is a force requirement for every activity. And therefore, that's set. That's a set amount of requirement, right? If you do it, often enough, but you don't have the force output for it, you're going to strain. Mm -hmm. So it's not that you're doing it too much. It's that you're not conditioned to do it. So stop thinking the answer is, oh, it hurts my back when I play golf. Don't do it. Oh, it hurts when I sit. Don't do it. No. Strengthen the shit out of the muscles that are required to do the activity. 
do it for as long as you want. Mm -hmm. As much as you want to do anything in life, you can do it. Yep. And also strengthen the shit out of the, the, the opposing muscle groups. Well, whatever is causing the problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Ultimately, yeah. you need balance of muscle. Yep. It's not strength that's primary. It's balance. First balance, then strength. Yep. Yeah. And if, it, if as an, as the example, if we're sitting too often and our hip flexor is getting tight and it's pulling us into an air interior pelvic position, then yeah, we need to stretch the hip flexors. We also need to engage and work our hip extensors to create the balance that you're looking for. Otherwise, of course, we're going to have some imbalances. Correct. Well, I, I'd like to just go with that concept and say, everybody thinks the answer to being tight is that you have a flexibility deficit and therefore the answer is to stretch the no. muscle <laughs> stretching it, only works for the day it will never work for any longer and that is because at night when you're not doing activity that's when muscles have the chance to shorten they'll go to whatever length they're supposed to be so if you have a shortened muscle let's say your quads are tight and you stretch your quad today tomorrow your quad will be just as tight mm -hmm. and so the important thing to understand is that flexibility deficits are force deficits between one muscle and its opposing muscle. Mm -hmm. So the muscle will only shorten as long as its opposing muscle is weak. So it's a force deficit. So if you have a flexibility deficit, you can only fix it by strength training, mm -hmm. strength training, the opposing muscle that is not allowing the muscle that shortening to sustain its optimal length. Mm -hmm. Now, here's a question. How do people go about optimizing their movement patterns to improve their, their pain management when their bodies are already in dysfunctional movement pattern positions? Do they have to utilize some sort of proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation before strength training? What's your take on that? Okay. So there's a couple of things there. First of all, never, ever, ever talk about pain management because pain management is an implication that you're not attempting to establish cause and resolve cause. If okay, I, I establish like the tissue in distress and I resolve the distress of that tissue, by definition, the tissue no longer has to emit the emergency distress signal of pain, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm a very, very good diagnostician, then the day that I identify the cause, I resolve it, what does it tell you about pain? Pain should never be more than acute. acute. Hey, Chronic let's pain. Yeah. Let's say yeah. that again, but to someone who's dumb like me, so I can fully understand what you just said. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's a... Because <laughs> this is a real... I, I'm getting what you're saying, but uh, you guys, like, you guys are definitely talking on another that. level, and uh, I get what... I'm getting what you're saying, and I think it's a really important point, so let's say it again so that I, sure. I can understand it. Sure. So right now we have this chronic pain epidemic, right? 130 million Americans, 1 billion people worldwide. So understanding the magnitude of this, someone has to say, well, is it just these people aren't getting better? Wow, it's real. They're really trying hard. They just don't know how to get better. A billion people, one out of every seven worldwide. That doesn't make sense. So you have to go to the concept is of why does chronic pain exist? To understand chronic pain, you have to go to acute pain. What is the initiation of pain, right? Why do people experience pain? So the reason people experience pain is because pain acts as an emergency distress signal. Some tissue in the body isn't working. You need to know that to get help to fix it. So that tissue elicits a particular series of symptoms, aspects of pain, for instance, 
The heart elicits pain at the chest and the left arm. The brain elicits numbness of the entire body. So every tissue has a specific grouping of symptoms. The idea is that those symptoms begin when? When do the symptoms begin? At the inception of the stress of the tissue. When the tissue begins to go bad, it immediately elicits the signal of pain. So that's when you're getting the pain. So if you know that the pain begins at the moment as the stress of that tissue and you go to a diagnostician, someone who's in a position to understand what tissue that is, you would assume if he identifies or she identifies the right tissue, now you're going to provide an intervention to resolve the distress of that tissue, which should mean that the symptom, the pain should end when? In this acute phase, this, this phase where it just started and you just sought care. So what is the global mechanism for diagnosing pain? The MRI, no one can deny that. It's the MRI. Well, if the MRI is so effective, why does chronic pain exist? The answer, and this, this gets really hard. I understand I sound like a psychopath because I'm the only guy saying this. Just listen to the logic of it. Understand this as a logical argument, not a medical argument. So you have lower back pain. You get an MRI. It says you have a herniated disc. It's going to assert that since the herniated disc is identified for the first time at the time you're having your pain, it is the cause of your pain. Would everyone acknowledge that's the theoretical base? If you have knee pain and you get an MRI and it says you have a meniscal tear and it's identified for the first time at the time you're having pain, it is asserted to be the cause. That is the basis for the global medical establishment. That is known as correlative theory or junk science. The entire basis for the medical system is junk science. An example, I open my front door when the sun begins to rise. I can say opening my front door causes the sun to rise. I can show you every day you'll come to my house. I'll open the door and the sun will rise. Yeah. And then the next day I'll open the door and I'll say, you see, I open the door and the sun rises, and you say, holy shit, my God, this guy's got incredible power. He can make the sun rise by opening his door, right? So you can see that, and that's very, very hard for the mind to accept might be not true. But I'll, I'll expand on how I was able to figure this out. So you're having back pain, and I do an MRI, and I find you have two elbows. You have two elbows, right? Everybody basically has two elbows at the time they're having pain. Okay, two elbows is the cause of your pain. You need to have your elbows removed. I can say that. Why can't I say that? It's you, you, Everyone laughs and thinks I'm joking, but I'm not. You have to understand the insanity, the lunacy of this. It is the same logic. It is exactly the same logic. It's simply saying, oh, herniated this, found it. Oh, okay, it's the cause of your pain, right? Now take it on another side. And this is, I, I just try to go slow with this because the layperson has no understanding of what I'm talking about. They've never heard this before. They've gone to five doctors. They've gotten five opinions. They've all shown them the MRI. They show them that picture. And they're trying to say, you see the picture, you see how that's there. And you're having pain. I'm telling you, we need to do surgery on that. This has been going on for 40 years. Mm -hmm. So this is a cultural, a sociological phenomenon. This is not a medical phenomenon. Okay. So now, if in fact herniated discourse pain, 
The opposite side of that should be those who don't have pain should have what? No herniated discs. If herniated discs cause yeah, pain, right? Well, 1994, 1994, 30 years ago, the very first study is done on people with no back pain. It finds 70% yep. have bulging or herniated discs. Yep. So, so wow. Yeah. So, yeah. so I just want you to understand. So forget medical. How does anyone accept that and say that this isn't baseless? I just proved mm -hmm. it's baseless from mm -hmm. a logical perspective. Mm -hmm. So obviously people who do, do not have back pain are not going to go to a doctor to get a, an MRI. No one's going to pay right. for an MRI. Right. Right. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have back pain. Um, but I believe that pain is very emotional. And I believe that especially in an emotional state, if somebody is, experiencing pain and a doctor says you're experiencing pain here and look you have a herniated disc to them oh it makes sense it makes perfect sense of course i have an explanation now i feel better okay what now what do we do because it's got to be easy right so do you find that people have that same reaction when they come to see you and it makes sense for them that they feel just as good. Like, I know the process is more challenging, but I'm very curious to hear what the, the differentiators are like there. So, so just to uh, complete this premise. So if, if this MRI thing is so wonderful, you've got all these people getting these back fusions, right? You've got all these people getting these hip and knee replacements. So why is there, why is people, why are people still in pain? If the cause is what they said, the bone on bone, and I fix that, the tissue in distress that I've identified on the MRI, how come the person's still in pain? Mm -hmm. You have to assume there's only one real legitimate logical reason. That wasn't the, the tissue cause. eliciting the pain. Yep. There's another tissue eliciting the pain. Now, let me ask you this. I provide you four mechanisms that muscle causes pain. Do any one of those mechanisms show up on an MRI? A muscle strain, a muscle altering bone position, a muscle referring symptom, or a muscle impinging on a nerve. Can any of that show up? The answer is no. That's right. So you know for sure that all the possible causes of pain don't show up on an MRI, and you're willing to accept it as a valid diagnostic mechanism? What's, what's the justification? And the answer mm -hmm. is society told you to do so. Yep. You, you just kind of yeah, yeah. into it. Big, you're big beef with the medical industry because of this. Big beef with the medical industry because, because you're very right. It's very reactionary. I, I see this. This is what it is. This is how we fix it. And then they fix it, go through surgery, still have pain. Yeah, of course you still have pain. They, they fuse three discs and they jacked your spine up a, a quarter inch. <laughs> but in the meantime, the problem was that you noticed, you said it yourself, that my pain seems to be really heightened when i go to stand up when i'm sitting it's not so bad but man i go to stand up and i've got this terrible pain so let me make sure yeah. i get this concept you said it was stenosis are you saying i don't have stenosis when i'm sitting but i have stenosis when i'm standing the stenosis comes and goes that's what you're saying because that's when i have my pain oh when i walk upstairs i have pain but when i sit down i don't have pain so you're saying the meniscus is torn when I go upstairs, but when I sit down, it's not torn? What, what does that mean? I don't even muscle know what that tension. means. Right? It's all tension. muscle. Travis, do you see where I'm getting with this? 100%. You understand the concept, man? Yeah. So, this, and you can see, you can see I'm in, I get very wound up I love about it. this. I'm I love it. hyper emotional because people have come to me. You were asking, Josh, what's it like for me? 
well, what do you think it feels like when someone comes to me and says, I've had pain for the last 10 years, I've gone everywhere possible, I've taken every medication, and you are my last resort. I am telling you right now, standing in front of you, I'm putting a bullet in my head tomorrow if you don't fix my pain. How do you think that feels? Mm -hmm. I've done this hundreds of times. It is so sobering. So it's like someone took ice water and pours it on my head. Because for the average time, I don't know who's going to walk in my door. I don't know who these people are. They make appointments or now I do Zoom sessions. When that opens, I don't know who's going to be there. I don't know what their stories are. And when that's the first thing you hear, it is shocking and unbelievably scary. And I, being who I am, being this person who believed I can figure anything out, given the opportunity, given the passion, given the the core ability to think things through and create theory, I think I can do it. And so I took these challenges on and thank God it's always resolved. I've mm-hmm. always been able to resolve that person. And it's obviously very emotional and there's breakdowns and, and, and the, you know, you were mentioning pain is emotional, by mm-hmm. the way. For the very, if you want to be highly technical, pain is not emotional. There is no connection of pain receptors to the emotional aspect of the brain. It's not pain that's emotional. It's the inability to resolve pain. That's what leads to emotion. Yeah. That's what leads to hopelessness, anxiety, frustration, and for some people, suicide. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's also a high stress. Stress is not helping this, the case. Stress is, you know, if your body's not performing optimally from an internal perspective, can't recover properly, then that's only going to make it worse. Well, and I would assume that, like, to fix this, you might have to go into almost a little more pain. That's what I would, that's what I would guess, like, uh, at, at first. Good question. No, so, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, my so, God, this so is I such just, a good question. Yeah, I just, I want to recap this a little bit um, and then and then dive into that because I think this is super important. I know what you're saying to be true, just from like almost just from common sense partially, but also from my personal experience. Yeah. Yeah, I've literally, this is like my story. I like couldn't walk for like a week. Uh, and you know, basically was told I needed back surgery and I just had like a feeling in my stomach. I was like, fuck that. I'm not going to get back surgery, you know? And I went and got a few more opinions, finally found a physical therapist who was like, now what they wanted you to do that. That's so messed up. Like we can fix this. And, uh, it took me six months. It hurt at first. Uh, it took me six months of like having to totally change how I went throughout my day. Um, and then my back now is the strongest it's ever been. Uh, and then a huge portion, uh, re- recently I've been feeling a lot better cause I've been training with Josh, honestly, and he's taught me how to like train correctly and like how to, uh, do movements correctly and how to strengthen the right muscles instead of me just going and like doing a bunch of pushups and, and shit. And so I would say like, I think one thing that is scary for people is the person who's been in excruciating chronic pain every day and is maybe like resorting to drugs and whatever to just get by. Um, they want this gone right now. And if they go in for a session with someone and they're like, it, it hurts twice as much as it did the day before, you know, that might not, that's scary. You know what I mean? So that's what, that's what I want to ask is like, you know, um, is that, is that the case? Like, do you always have to kind of, you know, do go into battle with this and kind of, you know, go into more pain? All right. So this is going to be shocking to you because your guys experience, but you remember, just always remember what I do. I taught myself, this is not in a curriculum. So I have a huge advantage, but let me just explain this concept to you. And that, and I think it will make sense to you. 
we just acknowledge that the reason you're having pain is because every functional activity or task you do has a certain force requirement. Gravity is pushing down, you got to push against it. And all the muscles required to do that activity must have an equivalent force output. So the reason you're having pain in doing the activity is because if there's a muscle that doesn't have the equivalent force output, your brain is going to teach you to compensate. You're going to shift. If you have pain, if you, you have a weakened left glute med, you're going to weight bear on the right side. You just are. That's the way the body works. Or you're going to turn your foot out in a certain way. Or you're going to limit how much you reach in front of you when you walk. So you're going to change your movement pattern. But the reality is that you just don't have the equivalent force output in all your muscles. Okay. Now you come to a guy like me who has his own understanding. And so what my evaluative component is, is first confirming it's muscular. It's not structural. The first thing that has to be done. When I establish that it's muscular, I'm going to identify the most common three to four muscles is typically what I find. Three to four muscles that are weak. Now you have to do YAS style strength training. And YAS style strength training says, what does a muscle do? It moves one joint in one direction. Yes. That's what yes. every muscle does, right? So if you're to strengthen appropriately, you have to be fully stabilized, except the single joint moving in one direction. And we're going to apply resistance. You have to, you could use um, resistance bands, equipment, dumbbells, whatever you want. But another aspect that people don't understand is that muscles only grow when they are forced to adapt to greater and greater resistances, linear strength and size. If you increase your strength 10%, you increase your size 10%. Okay. So let's take, for instance, our prior situation. You're having massive pain around your kneecap because your quad is too strong in relationship to your hamstring. Let's do just a little bit of help in diagnostics so people could understand. How did I know that that was the case? Well, Muscles don't just perform function, they're also responsible for posture. So if there is some sort of weakness or imbalance of muscle, I should find a correlative change in posture. So in the case of the quad being too strong, I would find, as Josh said, you'd be in an anterior tilt. If I check the front and back of your pelvis, the front of the pelvis is lower, and I see an excessive arching of the lower back. That is a symptom, just as the pain is. The rest of the people trying to help you are only interested in your pain and what was found on an MRI. I'm trying to utilize all possible symptoms. You also mentioned that when you sit, you're fine, but if you go to stand up, you have a problem, and you kind of have to push on your legs to get yourself to stand all the way up. That is a movement pattern variation. That is another symptom. All, so now I have inability to stand up. I have an anterior tilt and I have pain at the kneecap. I could go on and flexibility test your quads and see they're much uh, tighter compared to the hamstring. I could muscle test and find the quad is much stronger than the hamstring. All of these are presentations of the body. These are the symptoms I'm trying to tell you that the tissue in distress, in this case, the quad, is trying to help us understand so that we know we need to work on lengthening the quad. So that's how the evaluative component comes in. So I came to the realization I need to strengthen my hamstring to lengthen the quad so it's not pulling on the kneecap and creating excessive compression 
when I bend my knee. So I'm going to have you sit in a chair. Most of what I do now is Zoom session, um, but uh, I'm actually in the process of opening a new facility again. But for now, mostly I do so. And most people have resistance bands. They don't have access to gym equipment. So I'm going to put a resistance band in. I'm going to create a loop. I'm going to put it in the door at knee height. I'm going to have the person sit facing it. I'm going to put their ankle in so it's sitting on the Achilles tendon. Their leg's going to be hanging. Now, I make them sit back. Why? Because even if you're sitting up, muscles are working to support my torso. I just told you I only want one joint moving in one direction. So I have them leaning completely back. Nothing is moving right now. There is not a muscle in their body working. Then I tell them I want them to point their knees up and they're going to bend their knee, keeping their foot hovering just over the floor until they reach a 90 degree bend in the knee. That's isolating the, quad, the hamstring against resistance. Now, a fine little nuance, you have to know that if you're not using a seated hamstring curl where there's a bar that jams down on your thighs, you might notice that that knee tries to rise. As they're pulling back, their knee rises. Why? You see, the hamstring's weak. And there's another muscle saying, remember, your, body, your brain's always saying, can I make this easier on you? Oh, yeah, yeah, I can make your hip flexor contract. Yep. And so the hip flexor contracts, pulling up on the knee, because I could also bring my foot back by raising my knee. So you now have to tell that person, put their hand down on that knee. Do not let it rise. Your hand becomes like the bar in a hamstring curl, a seated hamstring curl. So as you notice, what do we have here? One joint moving one direction, which is the hamstring. I've made sure that within the attempt to do the exercise, every other muscle is stable. I've made sure I can't allow for any compensation. Then I simply have to make sure the person's using the appropriate resistance, which has to do with something called the uh, perceived exertion scale. And that's how you would strengthen that muscle. So going back to our question, well, aren't they going to be in writhing pain? Well, I don't see how they'd be in writhing pain because I've only got one joint moving in one direction. I've now isolated the weakened muscle. And the only force that that has to work against is a force we know we can control the level of resistance we attached. So what you see is I have treated people who have been crippled, can't stand, and I have them do exercise that's seated. No pain whatsoever. No pain whatsoever. They finish the two to three exercises and stand up and they're pain-free. Mm -hmm. This was actually a question that I was going to have for you, and I'm glad that you answered it. Because I was curious to know whether or not you recommend fixing imbalances or, or addressing uh, imbalances through isolation or compound movements. But it sounds like what you do is you completely isolate and you target a very specific muscle for a very specific function. You guys, for those listening, we have very similar uh, theories on, on training. I, I am a huge fan and will always preach for intent-based training. Massive focus on mind-muscle connection muscle response to stimulus and and the best way to 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 learn how to do that and kind of what dr mitchell is explaining is if you wanted to learn for example why a muscle was causing an imbalance for example why the quads can lead to uh you know a a, a uh, uh the, pulling up on the kneecap why the hip flexors can lead to a anterior pelvic tilt and you know all these things look at a muscular anatomy chart like, look to see where muscles originate and where they insert. And imagine what would happen if they got closer together and got stuck that way. Is that kind of how you learn through anatomy and things like that? 
Yeah, I um, I had had this incredible revelation about how to strengthen myself personally. And so once I got in it, I was going to treat people and start people were like pointing to their muscles, which kind of made me believe it was muscle creating their pain. I had to start saying, well, what made that muscle strain? Why did it strain? And I began to develop these understandings of muscle synergy function is the result of the culmination of pulls of muscles. So if all the muscles are in strong and balanced, you're going to lead to compensation, which ultimately leads muscles to strain to elicit pain. So um, the great news is that it, you just don't have to say it. You don't just have to believe it. It presents itself. Look at posture. Look at movement pattern deficits. Those are trying to show you which particular muscles are weak or imbalanced because those weaknesses or, balance or imbalances are leading to the postural variations and the functional deficits. Mm -hmm. So it allows you to understand which muscles you need to strengthen. Uh, I would just say, and, and no disrespect to anyone in the personal training genre or anything like that, but up till probably the late 1980s, probably into the 1990s, the old style premise shit's been around since Dan Lurie of isolated strengthening existed. And then they decided to go. And I think my opinion is it was the biggest loser is where this all started. Oh, this concept of functional strengthening, mm -hmm. functional, moving tires, pushing sleds, compound motion, dancing with weights. I think right? people just got bored, you know, the, and, and right. personal trainers to your, to your point, wanted to keep them interested. Right. Right. The problem is, is that, and again, I'm not trying to disrespect anybody. I'm a, I'm a scientist. I only know logic. And the logic is with, there's no you. such thing as functional strengthening. It's all functional. They don't mean, that doesn't mean anything. The word strengthening implies that you're trying to cause a muscle to adapt to greater and greater resistances. So when pushing a sled, when you're using 15 different muscles, if one is weak, you think that your brain's going to say, listen, I think you need to really just really key in on that individual muscle so it can push harder with the sled. It's not going to happen in the slightest. What your body's going to say is, hey, you know that muscle sucks? All right, let's just switch and put more weight on the other side so you can still push the sled. Mm -hmm. Functional activity without strength and balance leads to greater compensation and weakness and imbalance. That's the problem. I, I think this is... Like you said, it's it's probably been a culmination of a lot of different things. But something that I think of in, in cases like this is people aren't focused on how they're moving from A to B. They're just focused on moving from A to B. And that's why strength training with massive amounts of focus on intent, the intent behind the movement, the intent behind the adaptation that you're trying to create, and the intent behind how the stimulus is applied is super important. It's something that I think is hopefully coming back around, at least in my space it is, but also the discipline from the athlete's perspective or the client's perspective on being able to maintain proper execution and intent, not just let your ego take over and be like, oh, I just want to move the weight. I can get another rep. I don't care if you can get another rep. Can you get another good rep, another rep with good intent, good focus, good execution? Where And, and what I always say is train the muscle, not the movement. So I don't care if you can get a bench press and the bar to touch your chest and go all the way back up. I, again, I want to see you bring the pectoral through a lengthened and contracted position 
if you move the muscle and you focus on the muscle, the weight moves. We like forgot that at some point in our lives. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it's the technique that you want to focus on, not the weight. See, this is the problem with most people is that let's say, and I mean, this is like one of the most classic is the standing bicep <laughs> barbell curl. For the vast exact, majority I, of people, they're doing hip extension. They're doing hip extension. They're simply and, getting way and forward and flexing. going way back. And yep. maybe a little bit is in the bicep. And, 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 they, and eventually what's eventually going to happen is they're going to start that. They get that high point. Now it's going to come back down. You can't use the momentum of your body anymore. Your bicep has to decelerate it. They're going to tear the bicep and they're going to be like, I don't know what, what happened. I, this isn't all for me. good. And, and so that's why I've been lifting weights for 34 years. I put 60 pounds on the vast majority of exercise I do are all seated. See, when you sit, it's very, very hard to develop momentum. Very mm -hmm. hard. I do a seated bicep curl. I do a seated military press. The only two primary standing exercises I do, I think it is the only two I do, are squats and straight leg deadlifts. Mm -hmm. Everything else is seated because you can't compensate. More stability. More stability. Yeah. More stability. Muscles are stronger in a stable environment, and that's, that's part of That's why. the point. I, I, I want people to understand. That's a really, really important. So everyone's looking at themselves, seeing them move the weight. What they're not understanding is there's two sides to the muscle. There's the muscle that's pushing the mobile side. And then on the other side of it, you're pushing off of is the stable side. Yep. The more stable you can create the environment on the stable side, the greater the opportunity it can push force. And the way you know that is take a 10 pound dumbbell and stand on the floor and do a bicep curl. Now go on ice and try to do a 10 pound bicep curl. You ain't going to do anything. You're not going to be able to even move it. Why did the 10 pounds change? No, you have no stability. Mm -hmm. And so I'm so glad to hear you say that. And please, by all means, go on rooftops, <laughs> yell it to the planet, stability first, movement second. Mm -hmm. If everyone would get that, let me tell you, first off, they're going to have much less chance of injury. And the thing they don't understand is that you're going to have a greater ability of the muscle to push the resistance in the way it's designed to. And you're actually going to get stronger faster mm -hmm. by being more stable, which to most people looks less aggressive because you're not jerking around. You're not using momentum. You will actually have a greater ability to cause the isolation and allow the muscle to push more force. To me, it looks so much more impressive. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I pride myself on training very well. Like I like right. the way I move and I'm always trying to improve upon it. But there's something about seeing someone move weight with massive amounts of control where the only thing moving is the obvious target. Right. That they're trying to isolate. And it's just it's very impressive. No dancing feet on bench right. press. None of that shit. Right. You know, it's so funny you say that because I, I kind of the way I perceive it when I'm working out or others, I see it as like you're a machine. Yes. And, and this joint is just a piston yes. and it's this piston moving through this motion and it's this continuous motion. And I, to me, literally, it looks like it's a machine. Mm -hmm. And I think I agree with you. I think that looks so powerful, mm -hmm. so engaged. It just looks good. It looks right. Versus that person who's jerking all up. I mean, to me, I, I only des I describe it as they're dancing with the weights. 
<laughs> I mean, they're, they're like they're, they're all over the joint and, and you know, they're moving 20 and then 20 places and they're very unstable. To mm-hmm. me, it looks like they're going to hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. And if you ask that person, hey, what's your intention behind performing this exercise? Then they probably won't be able to tell you. Because, you know, they haven't actually learned. So you have to learn this stuff. Now, before we get too far off, because we could go down this rabbit hole for a long time. I can just tell. It could be a lot of fun. But I'm, I'm curious. Get back to uh, addressing injuries and addressing muscular imbalances. Um, I think there's a couple schools of thought here, and I'm, I'd love to get your opinion on it. Some people believe that imbalances begin at your feet, and some people believe that they begin at your hips and extend upward and downward. Do you have a, a, a theory on this? Sure. So there are standard imbalances that exist in the planet by all humans because of the way we do stuff. So everything we do is in front of us. So I stand up in front of me. I walk forward in front of me. I kneel in front of me. I climb stairs in front of me. By definition, you have to assume your quad is going to be bigger than your hamstring. And just look at the globe. Look at an atlas. Look at an anatomy chart it's presented as the quad is bigger than the hamstring. And by definition, it generally is. And for most people, that's okay because the imbalance is not that great. It's a question of does something happen in your life? Is there an activity that you do that heightens the use of your quad? Or is it that you sit so much that your glutes and hamstrings are allowed to weaken enough that the imbalance becomes so great that the forced output of the muscles then become affected to the point where they're not available for the activity. The same thing is the forward posture, the forward shoulder posture, right? We push things away. We hold things in front of us. So we, we do everything in front of us. So bicep, anterior, delt, and chest are always going to be bigger than mid-trap, rhomboids, post, delts, and triceps. It just is. Now, as long as that doesn't affect the relationship between the force requirements of our activities and the force output of our muscles, we may never have symptoms. But the question to me is, why be predisposed to having symptoms? Why wait until you have symptoms to say, hey, you know what? I think I have this imbalance. Why wouldn't we just, and this is where my preposition of weightlifting should be a part of life, like eating, sleeping, combing your hair, showering. I want it to be perceived as not something you do to solve your pain and then stop. I want you to assume that you need this to maximize your functionality. So that's why my, my proposal has always been everyone should be weightlifting, everybody. Mm-hmm. It, it, it makes sense when you start to think of the body as having you know an, an amount of tension that is optimal between antagonistic muscle groups. Like it, it, it should make sense that you weight train in order to have control over that variable. Because otherwise what you're saying is what you do most, and I completely agree with you here, what you do most is going to cause dysfunction. So, so one point I would make, because you always want to have logic involved in the conversation. You always want to be talking in a way that someone can't back, come back and say, well, in real life, what you said doesn't happen. And, and when, when you can stop that from happening, you know you have a full understanding of things. So the question is, well, how come prior to the late 19, early 1980s and 1990s, everyone didn't have pain except older people? If what we're saying is true, then what's the answer? And the answer is that in doing activity, there is a certain amount of force strength that is sustained. 
just in doing activity. So if you sustain your activity, you kind of are going to sustain a good chunk of the strength that you have. And as a result, you're less apt to strain. When people stop doing activity, that deficit lets certain muscles weaken so severely that that's what led to the susceptibility of pain from either weakness or imbalance. And I'll kind of give you a really, really good understanding of this. So we look at Rafael Nadal, the tennis player. I assure you when he was a certain point, right before he started playing tennis, you would see his forearm was a certain size. Then he started playing tennis. And I assure you that if you looked at Rafael Nadal's arms, his left forearm is bigger than his right forearm. So why? What happened? Because the force requirement of playing tennis was slightly more than the existing force output of his muscles. So his muscles were able to adapt a little bit more to this force requirement. And as a result, it got bigger. But if that's enough to grow muscle, how come he doesn't have Arnold Schwarzenegger's forearm? Because it will only take you so far. Mm-hmm. Your muscles can only adapt to the force requirement so far. Then you need to begin to do isolated strengthening to take on a greater force output for the muscle. And that's why a guy like Rafael Nadal or any of these other players end up getting injured. Mm-hmm. Because over time, as much as their muscles initially got to a certain size, and I assure you at some point, his size of his forearm stabilized. At some point, the force requirement of doing it so much was too great. And obviously, Rafael Nadal is not a weightlifter. He doesn't have a background in weightlifting, and probably no one's ever told him to weightlift. But if he did, he would then have been able to take his force output even beyond what the force requirement of tennis was, and he would have a bigger forearm and he'd be less apt to strain. So that that's kind of the understanding as to how things work and why I believe doing activity is so critical for sustaining, but you also have to recognize that if you decide to do something with a greater and greater force requirement, you are susceptible to straining unless you strengthen to adapt for that. Mm-hmm. So like what I'm kind of... Uh... What I'm kind of getting from this is like people who are in chronic pain, for instance, and they're like, well, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I play, I play, uh, I play with my kids. I go for hikes, you know, every couple of weeks. Um, you know, I'm an, I go for bike rides. Like I'm an active person. I take, you know, I'm active. I take care of myself. I'm still in pain. I think like what I'm hearing is basically like, you're not active like you're not working on the farm every day working on your own car like hunting for your own food every single day seven days a week you're not active it doesn't like no matter what you think you're literally not active like if you just go for walks once in a while and bike rides once in a while and you hikes once in a while you're like you're not active and the things that you do um are creating these little imbalances and basically like the source of your pain is muscles that are weak or performing incorrectly and like this one's weak so this one starts kicking in and it's like pulling on you and yanking on you and like the muscle weakness and muscles not firing correctly are what is causing you pain and the answer to your pain like the solution is to do a very careful very specialized like 
incremental targeted strength training that make your muscles the the exact muscles that need to like build uh build strength in the right way and build the mind muscle connection so that they're firing in the right way that's basically what i'm hearing that's exactly right for the average person but let's take the highest level nfl football player how come he gets hurt he play he trained he does all this stuff Oh, he's got power output, man. <laughs> right. So the question is, why does he get hurt? Because when we look at any one individual, we're not looking at the force requirements and the force uh, outputs of this person's muscles in relationship to this person. It's that individual's force requirement in relationship to its force output. So the average person, you are 100% right. They think that they're being active because they walk every now and then. And the reality is, is that they just never did the isolated strength training to just be able to do, when push comes to shove, the force requirements of their activities. But if we take the highest level athlete, the reason even they strain in illicit pain is because simply the force requirements for what they're doing are still heightened compared to the level of conditioning these guys achieve. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, if you want to know in a single sentence why 98% of the population have pain, it is because the force requirement of that person is greater than the force output of the muscles of that person trying to perform those activities. Mm -hmm. When all is said and done in one sentence, that's the essence of it. And there's only one way you could ever fix that. Figure out which muscles are at deficit and do targeted strength training to resolve that deficit. So you're basically mm -hmm. right on. That's that, the answer. That's a perfect sound bite right there. That'll be a, that'll be a clip for us for sure. Yeah. That'll be <laughs> real. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is, you know, a lot of those athletes and, and, and I, I think that, um, even as, as far as I'm concerned, if you, if you weight train four times a week, three, four times a week or more, you're an athlete. Okay. As far as I'm concerned, you're an athlete. Um, and, and as you become more and more proficient at your, at your, your specialty, and, and especially if it's taking NFL runner, uh, run back, running, running back, for example, the amount of force that those people can put out is just phenomenal. And so when you're talking about having an even distribution of that uh, and having an even force output to the force requirement, think about how much force that is. Like, it's no wonder that sometimes when they pull hamstrings, they really pull hamstrings. Sure, sure, sure. There's no mm -hmm. doubt. Now, everyone's going to think, oh, it's an NFL player. They must have the greatest people working with them. They're so knowledgeable. Okay, so I'll just give you a little hint. So when I first started working, I worked for a guy and he was the therapist for, I'll just say, a professional hockey team. And he, a guy is traded who ends up being in the Hall of Fame for hockey. And he has a tendency of getting groin strains. He get every time. I'll Okay, so it was a goalie. So he has to make these saves. So every time he goes out, he strains his groin. So you say, wow, he, I mean. He's an NH NHL Hall of Fame hockey player. This guy must be getting the greatest care. Well, what they were doing was the old style view. Well, if he strains his groin, it must be in its weak. So they're strengthening his oh, groin. They're, they're worsening it. And he was forced to retire after coming to this team because there was a lack of understanding that shortening 
is a representation of that muscle being stronger mm -hmm. than its opposing muscle. And so you didn't want to strengthen the groin. You wanted to strengthen the glute made. Mm -hmm. And that would have given him the ultimate length on his groin muscle and allow him to make those saves. So yep. just, uh, I mean, you want to get very technical. Tiger Woods was forced to retire because of his doctors. There's no confusion about this. The guy was told that his muscle spasms in his back were from a herniated disc. Define that. Define that. What does that even mean? How would a disc cause muscle spasms? What, what would a disc? Uh, I mean, you could say anything. Uh, how does peanut butter affect tuna fish? I mean, it, it's just <laughs> literally a meaningless phrase. So he went <laughs> off and he got a disectomy. And I maybe got like two disectomies. He ended up with two fusions. And once well, I, I mean, once you did that, he was never going to recover from it. Mm -hmm. um, that, that you know, you you could talk over and over again about these athletes. Um, I actually got a chance to talk. I, I don't know from New York. This is 1970 again, kind of old. Um, uh, Dave, uh, not Dave uh, Monroe. Dave, uh, what was his name? Earl the Pro Monroe. Does that name even? Uh, maybe not. So he, no. <laughs> all right. So he was he was he was on the 1970 national championship. Uh, the, the basketball NBA championship for the New York Knicks. I talked to him years later. The guy's had 50 surgeries. Holy shit. 50 surgeries to his back, his hip, and his knees. Still in pain. So you say, oh, God. Freaking guy is a Hall of Famer, for God's sakes. He must be getting the greatest care. What no one understands is that there is no great and not great care. It's all crappy care. Because as long as you keep diagnosing, well, I don't care if it's the Queen of England, you keep diagnosing them through this herniated disc. You're never identifying the tissue in distress. And when you do surgery on that tissue, the post-surgical complications associated, if you have a muscular deficit, are going to cause the muscles to weaken further, which is why the vast majority of people after surgery have greater levels of pain. Yep. And that is global. And that's, it's very, very scary. This is a very scary time. If you're in pain, I pray if you hear this podcast, please just pause and say to yourself, if what's being done is so incredible and it's so right, why are you still in pain a year, two years, five years or 10 years later? Why? Why do you think that you've gotten the exact right diagnosis? You just haven't gotten the right treatment. Do you think that makes sense to you? Isn't it more? Doesn't it make more sense that they just haven't picked the right tissue, the one that's in distress, the one eliciting your pain, and therefore you haven't gotten that treated so the distress could be resolved? This, this is that. If you want to understand where my position stands and what the great war I find myself in is right there. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of people, because of this psychotic, it's almost cult-like belief, and it's horrible, horrible to say this, but it's true. It is a cult-like belief that the MRI is valid, that it is in fact finding my pain, and the only reason why I can't get out of pain because I haven't gotten the right treatment for that diagnosis. There is no basis for that diagnosis. I can the go through theoretical, clinical, and scientific evidence. No basis. The problem, in my opinion, especially with what we're talking about now, and you've said this a lot, the problem is the treatment. Right. They want to diagnose, they want to treat. They want to diagnose, they want to treat. And what 
your your you've done and and the way that myself and a lot of my colleagues think is we think more okay well what's the problem how do we how do we address the root cause how do we cure that because treating it isn't going to do anything we need to address the root cause now in order to 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 make this even more applicable to like our weightlifting uh, demographic that, that that listens to us what are some things that people who are, are involved in weightlifting that want to get into weightlifting can do to ensure that they're maintaining proper balance front to back, anterior to posterior outside of obviously like get a coach, right? Like first things first, grab some guidance, but when they're actually performing their exercises, when they're selecting their workout program, what are some things that they can look for to make sure that they're keeping a, a, a more healthy homeostatic environment of tension between different opposing muscle groups? Well, I, I think that the smart way to start is the recognition that there are these two primary imbalances that exist in the upper body, the chest, the anterior bicep and, 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 and bicep versus the rhomboids, mid traps, post delts and triceps. It is irrefutable that they simply exist. You could look at anybody and see that those muscles are bigger in front than behind. So why not, if you're going to start weightlifting, why don't you start with a program that focuses on the post delt, the mid trap rhomboids, the lats, the rotator cuff, the lower trap. Nobody ever talks about the lower trap. Ooh, Everyone yeah, talks about I, the upper trap. That's a problem for me, actually. Yeah, yeah. Especially on this right side, my, my scapula likes to elevate. My lower trap doesn't like to pull it down Correct. very well. That's so right. We're working that's right. on it. My, my opinion is it's one of the primary reasons for shoulder pain, uh, mid back pain, neck pain, and even headaches is a weak lower trap. Oh yeah. I can so see that. Mm. I would suggest, why don't you start with that as your basis? If you know that your hip flexors and quads are generally stronger, why not start on a program with hamstring curl, uh, hip extension, get the glute max, get the hamstring, get the gluteus medius muscles, the hip muscles stronger. Start on that. Why don't you try to get yourself balanced first? And then the way you would know that is just like, look at yourself on the side. Look at your shoulder. If your shoulder is way in front, if you have forward head posture and shoulder posture, if you're not finding a plumb line of the ear, the shoulder, the hip and the knee and the ankle, mm -hmm. that's your hint. If your pelvis, <laughs> if your belt buckle is pointed down, not forward, that's a, that's an indicator. If you mm -hmm. feel your weight bearing on the balls of your feet versus your heel, that's a, that's a red flag. These are the things that are telling you where your imbalances and weaknesses lie. And I, I always think start conservative. I always would rather start conservative. And I kind of see these as universal. Even if you got to the point where you strengthened everything um, and you achieve balance, there's no reason to ever stop strengthening the glute max, the yep. gluteus uh, medius and the hamstring. Because by definition, there's always going to be that tendency for that quad and hip flexor to be pretty strong. Uh, Same thing goes for the upper back. Yeah, I want to I want to like reinforce that like this isn't this isn't like a treatment to well, may, maybe it is, but it, like it, it's not really like a, tr a treatment to like quickly solve uh, a problem. This is something that you should do like your entire life. <laughs> Oh my God! Yes, like absolutely. That's, that's that honestly the premise. answer. Is you need to yes. do this your yeah. whole life. Yes. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's pretty exciting. I'm 60 years old. I'm 220 pounds with a 34 inch waist. I hate to tell you, come back in 30 years, I better look just like this. 
Yeah. I'm going to be the yep. sickest looking 90 year old you're ever going to find, man. <laughs> that, I'm going to be dude. squatting 405, military <laughs> pressing 100 both. pound dumbbells. You and me both. You're going to be you're going to be the guy in the gym because everybody knows this yeah, guy yeah. Who, who goes who goes. Yeah, when I was your age, I used to bench four plates <laughs> and then you're going to bench four plates. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. so so people understand it. This isn't just about musculoskeletal. Um, this is, again, a very, very wildly different concept. So you'll hear people always talk about what's the most important system in the body. And people say, oh, it's the cardiovascular system. It's the heart. Oh, it's the neurological system because everything contracts based on nerve. The answer is go back to the caveman period. This is caveman period. What were your three concerns? Not to get eaten. You needed mm-hmm. food, right? You needed to protect against being eaten and you needed a place to stay. Right. If not, you were dead, straight out dead. You either got eaten, you didn't, you starved, or you didn't have a place, and you would succumb to the weather. Right. So, what was the system most responsible for preventing getting eaten, being able to get food, and creating shelter? It's the musculoskeletal system. Mm-hmm. You live in a gravitational environment. You don't exist. I don't give a shit. Watch your nerves are firing. I don't care how hot your heart can bump. If you can't get off that floor. You're dead. You're mm-hmm. dead. End of story. You need muscle. So muscle is the system that's most responsible on planet Earth. OK, so when we talk about the cardiovascular system, the gastrointestinal system, the pulmonary system, the immune system, they're all supplementing your musculoskeletal system. Cardiovascular system. Yeah, this, this is real. I mean, you got to see it for Thank what it you. is. You I've been see. preaching this shit for so long, yeah. talking about how everyone's trying to build muscle just by eating more and lifting more weight, and it's not working. No shit. Your body does not have the luxury to build muscle because your digestion sucks. Right. You're not recovered. All of it. I've been preaching this shit forever. Finally, somebody agrees with me. <laughs> so the whole idea is that if you if you want to sustain pulmonary function, lung function, or heart function, it's the weightlifting aspect that is going to require, right? So if I make more muscle, muscle is living tissue. So I need more oxygen for that living tissue. I need more glucose for that living tissue. It's more tissue that I have to worry about my immune system. So what it's doing is it's driving these other systems to have to work harder. Then when you bring in the appropriate amount of glucose, when you take in the appropriate amount of oxygen, when you sustain a strong immune system, they're all functioning optimally to sustain the musculoskeletal system. So people could talk about just eating. I mean, there is such a diminishment of understanding about the value of weightlifting. It's, it's just foolish nonsense. And the reason is, is because if I teach you how to lift weights, I teach you one time and you're on your own. But Atkins, I have to keep convincing you this crap and Jenny Craig and 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 Weight Watches and right. So it's it, they're systems. They're just systems. And the reality is that not one of them integrates muscle. And you want to know what really was the trigger for all this stuff? I think it was way better, like 2007. The um, uh, Tufts University is this university that does all the um, all the studies on exercise. And there's that. Um, prescription for exercise. I forgot what what company, what organization does that. And the prescription for exercise prior to, I think it was like 2007, was basically five days of cardiovascular training. And they would say, this is the way it was. This has been around for a thousand years. And they would say, yeah, you know, if you want to do some exercise, some strength training, you know, do whatever. 
And then all of a sudden, I think it was 2007, they said, nope, three to four days a week of weightlifting, strength training with one or two days of cardiovascular. And their point was that strength training is the only mechanism of exercise that increases the resting metabolic rate. So when it comes to weight loss or weight control, there's only one primary form of exercise that actually has a direct effect on that. That is strength training. Mm -hmm. So even the prescription of exercise was changed once there was this recognition. Mm -hmm. Muscle's expensive. It's calorically expensive to maintain. So why wouldn't you want more of it? There's a reason I can eat as much as I do and I don't gain a pound. If I want to gain a pound, I have the systems in place to do that. But yeah, I agree. A, a lot of these, a lot of these fads, they're, they're just frameworks that are, that are labeled as treatments. Um, or their treatments that are labeled as frameworks, really. And when it comes down to it, so, some things work some of the time, right? Some systems work some of the time. Well, and you got you got to watch out by defining work. So every if yeah, you exactly. notice, all of these things talk about losing weight. Yep. Let me tell you something. You want me to make you lose weight in about two days? I'll give you oh, a couple of Lasix pills. I'll give you a couple of Lasix pills. I will deplete your water. I could 70% of your body weight's water. I can make you lose weight anytime I want. I could sever your arm. I could take mm -hmm. your arm off and I'll make you lose weight. So mm -hmm. then the answer is weight is percent the body fat. Yep. Present the body fat is what you want to address. Yep, so. exactly. But the but the only strategy that that consistently works is optimizing your your internal health because a healthy body sure. responds like you of were just course. saying right so of course. why are people focused on all this other shit it's like why are people focused on where their pain is when the only strategy that really works is addressing where it's coming from because this is hard because this is exactly. freaking hard man freaking hard. because you need to commit to your life to say that I'm going to lift weights three times a week and I'm going to do it in a way that I'm going to try to progress my resistance and this is going to be the equivalent of a lifestyle that's a big thing to it's agree hard. to. It's, it's, I'm not going to deny it's hard, but the fact is, once you eventually do commit to it, I mean, does everybody get up every morning and say, Jesus Christ, I got to brush my fucking teeth today. God, <laughs> I hate life. I can't stand life. I got to brush my teeth. No, it's, it's a way of life, right? Right? It's a way of life. Well, guess what? I hate to tell you, over time, it's not such hard, so hard to make this become a way of life. You mm -hmm. just got to start. You got to see the value in it. You got to feel it. You, mm -hmm. you know, uh, everyone, uh, you're talking COVID, uh, COVID, 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 COVID. Well, here's my answer. You want to address your COVID issue? Get healthy. Get healthy. Strengthen your immune system. How do you strengthen your immune system? White blood cells are released in the body, and the mechanism by which it's done is rising temperature. So it doesn't matter whether it's done systemically, like if you have a fever or whether you're doing it through exercise. Either way, when your body temperature rises, your body emits more white blood cells. That's why healthy people don't get sick as much. Well, OK, there's your answer. I don't, what do you want me to tell you? You want to sit home and never go out? Because it's hard. Of course it's hard. Because it's hard. People don't like doing hard things. Commit! Guess what? Commit, God damn it. Things is good for you, OK? Oh my God. Nothing easy in life. No. There's nothing worth doing that is easy in life. Nothing, mm -hmm. nothing worth doing. There's mm -hmm. such great satisfaction in eventually setting a goal and achieving the goal and relishing 
the path along the way. Mm-hmm. That's that's where enjoyment comes. A thousand percent, a thousand percent. And I know that that's why we do what we do. And you know, we, we may be in different industries, semi different industries and different practices, um, but we like helping people to do that. So. I, we could go on forever. We might. We'll have to do another episode. But I know, like, I'm gonna want to. I'm gonna want to shoot shit with you more, and 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 because this has been heated, it's been fired up. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I know our listeners are gonna want to learn more from you. I'm gonna want to learn more from you. We're gonna have to stay connected for sure. So. Let's let's uh, well. First off, thank you for coming on and, and having such a great conversation. But uh, let's let you give yourself the plug. Tell everybody where they can find you, where they can learn more about you, where you where you operate out of everything. We want it all. Sure. So the easiest way to reach me is by email at drmitch at mitchellyas.com. And my website is kind of easy to remember, live without pains, plural, livewithoutpains.com. The, the great thing that I try to get across to people is that I, I am in Jacksonville, Florida, and you can see me in person, but I have for six or seven years now, I've been doing Zoom sessions before there was Zoom when it was just Skype. So people can go on my website and schedule their own Zoom sessions, Yas Method Zoom sessions. So that's available. If you really want to get an overall view of the Yas Method and all the craziness that I, you know, I try to espouse, I think my YouTube channel is just such a wonderful uh, thing. It's it's Dr. Mitchell Yas. You just Go on Google on, on uh, YouTube and 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 search it. Um, there's a couple of hundred videos. I talk about all different aspects, different areas of the body. Um, it's all about application. I have forever considered myself to be much more an educator than I am a practitioner. I figured this out. We're going almost three decades ago, and as far as I'm concerned, um, I have come to the realization, and this is where I went from um, a certain sense of righteousness to a certain sense of wisdom. I know I'm right in what I'm saying. It's irrefutable. But my wisdom came in recognizing that there's a billion people out there suffering from chronic pain. Unless they find out about this, I can't help them. So righteousness was recognizing only those that seek this will be able to benefit from it. And I become good with that. I'm okay with that. So I do everything in my power to create as much awareness. So there's a Facebook page, which is at the Yachts Method. Uh, like I said, the YouTube page, my website, Live Without Pains. Um, and if you want to personally just contact me, if you have a question and you want me to uh, respond, you do it through email at drmitchatmitchellyoss.com. The point I'd make about that is if someone emails me, I get back. This bullshit about somehow I'm superior or I'm not I'm b- above the common man. That's all crap. This, this is some kind of crazy quest I've been put on. And as I said, if someone seeks care, they deserve to have, they have the right to be able to understand what is causing their pain and how to resolve it. And the great news is in more than 98% of cases, it's muscle. So mm-hmm. they are fully empowered. Once they know what they do, they figure out, they, they do what they need to do to resolve their pain and then prevent it from reoccurring. So mm-hmm. um, that, that, that's kind of the answer. I, I, I love that. And, and to everybody who's listening, I highly recommend, obviously check out Dr. Dr. Yas. Um, we have very similar ideologies. We have very similar theories behind our training, uh, behind behind pain, and so and especially on the uh, applied education, which with we we seem to treat people. Um, if, so if if you guys are you know followers of me, if you're a follower of the method or Muscle Building University, uh, you understand how much applied education and sustainability means to us. I can tell it means the same to Doctor Yas. So you will love him. Go check him out. Find him on Facebook. Find him on YouTube, Instagram. Reach out to him if you need help. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, man. This has been an awesome conversation. <laughs> <laughs>